0: Hash house and up. Welcome to On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we're back in the UK with a longtime hasher who's hashed in multiple continents and a lot of countries. Welcome today nice. on the podcast, Mother Tucker. On, On, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm not It's great to see you finally.
0: Let's introduce you with your hashing origin story. When, where, and how did you get to your first hash?
1: There was a friend of mine. I was in technical college at the time, and a friend of mine came down from Auckland. His name is Beastie. He says, oh, I've heard of this great thing. He took us out for an evening, and that was a disaster. But I saw the potential in it, so he ended up going home. Sure, I was never going to do this. But 18 months later, when I'd done the college and got a job, and worked out where the next big event was, my local hash, which was. Capital Hash in Wellington, we road tripped up to where this was and I was sitting there getting very drunk and he turned up and that was a great start of a great weekend. Yeah.
0: What was the disaster part
1: of the event you went to? It was a, in a suburb run. It was dark. It was rainy. There was no beer stop. Yeah, it was a sort of a ladies' lunch type run. So he got there and it was glasses of wine and things and nibbles in someone's front room. The proper drinking side of it wasn't really evident, but you can see there was a potential there and from what I was told there was usually a lot more than what we saw then so <laughs> not really alright
0: about your restart
1: where did you restart exactly and what year I, was that I was in Wellington that would have been in probably 1988 I started running with Capital Hash and Fort Nicholson Geriatrics and there's another Ladies Hash that runs in the north as well and I carried on from there and then ended up moving up country to Auckland and hashed a lot around there but for the Wellington Hash actually in New Zealand it's a big deal there to travel, so you don't just hash your local hash, you go out and visit others, and they all have annual events. So it's on my left, I'd hashed about 35 different clubs in New Zealand, and uh, wow. up and down, and I missed a few, but not many. Yeah,
0: there's, a, right now, There's that's about how many clubs there still are across the country, about 35. Yeah. yeah. What about it
1: did you like? Were you a fit runner, apart from the beer drinking? Nope, I was a beer drinker. Okay. (laughs) That uh, running is just a reason to drink, so that was great fun. The social side of it was kind of fun, and you got to see different bits of the countryside, too, which is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, so you're traveling around New Zealand. Who were some of the
1: people who were there who were driving you to go travel and who you traveled with? There was one guy. There's a fellow called Handel. He was ahead of the car, and he since left Ashing. There's another guy called G-String. He was a big man. And uh, the thought of them in a G-string just really wants you to lose your lunch. But Between them, they were big social drinkers and they used to travel and do the local trips and stuff around the place. And so I joined in as I wanted to travel as well. We were traveling around on our own, sort of fun for years. And there's other hashes did the same thing. Some of them, had a bus and traveled a lot of them. Some of them were just individuals and cars and things. So yeah, that's where we started traveling around the countryside. How long were
0: you hashing in New Zealand there when you said you hashed with 35 clubs? How long was that before you left?
1: Probably about four years or so, maybe five. Yeah, Yeah, it would have been about four years. And then then it was into hash. So the whole country set to and then flew out to Singapore. And a lot of them then did an overland relay hashing and running all the way up to Thailand. I cheated. I just caught the bus. And uh, Thailand was great fun though.
0: Yeah, so it was 92 At that point in any of the clubs in New Zealand Wellington, were you involved in any organizing or
1: mismanagement? I wasn't, no. No, there was others that were a lot more capable than me. (laughs) All right, where did you head next? I headed out of there, went to Thailand, did into Hash, and everybody was having a mad time for two weeks spending up large, and I was eking it out because I never knew where I was going to end up. I wasn't going back. So I flew out of there to Hong Kong, and I had a great time. This is pre-Andover Hong Kong too. So it was proper wild west stuff. the hashes there were pretty wild and the nightlife was crazy. I ended up being the bouncer on a bar. And met more people after about six months or so there and ended up flying out of Hong Kong, which is this massive hygienic, straight structural, bright place, and I flew into Calcutta in India. I think it was Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, one of those in pitch dark. So you came out of the airport station and that was like black as ink. And there's the odd light here and there, which are candles. And then you had to work out where you were and what to do next and how to find the next dash, obviously, because all we had was the Magic Hughes handbook. You didn't have any internet or anything like that in the good old days. So you had this and you had to go and find people, find the clubs and embassies were kind of helpful. And then carry on. Let me me figure out your lifestyle. So in 1992, did you own anything besides a backpack you took to Thailand? No, I had about two grand, maybe 3,000 US, an airline ticket. I winterized the car just in case all else went wrong and had to come back. That was hidden in a shed somewhere and I just left. New Zealand at the time was going through some pretty bad economic stuff and I would add a dot-com style bus. The whole company was because an agriculture country, the whole place is on its knees and uh, I was fortunate. I'd had a, some money stacked away and I picked that up and then left and everybody else had to stay. Well, what would you find in Calcutta in India That A lot of friendly people, but you can't see them very nicely at 12 o'clock at night. So. I got picked up there and put in a taxi, and we found these friendly guys who looked after me and took me to where all the hostels were, and I stayed there. And then I traveled overland all around there. It's about 18 months or so, traveling all around West Asia. So I hashed in India, Bangladesh, went up to Sikkim, hashed in Nepal. Then went across down all the way down to the bottom where the hot, cur- hot curries are, which is great. I love curries. To Sri Lanka, and then up the other side to Goa, Bombay, different hash centers, and then into then Pakistan. Then you went up and over the curricular and and then came back down again. So the trick to surviving that sort of travel is, is looking after yourself. No. But what I did is I only drank, I only had a beer when I found a hash. So that, that allowed me to stretch the, the funds quite nicely. Otherwise you could blow a month, especially over there, you could blow a month's accommodation and one good night out. I so You only drank on the hash and the rest of it was traveling between hashes because they tend to be months apart and then, uh, then finding lots of tourist stuff and interesting stuff to go and visit. Yeah.
0: Were you keeping track of how often you hashed there? You knew what you had done in New Zealand, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, yeah. a list of hashes you have been to. So inside the book, big long cover, you just wrote down everything you did and you took them off in the book too. And uh, when you go to a country, you just open up that page and just try to join the dots. And that also gave you a reason to keep moving as well too because one of the things you find when you travel is you stop and then you unravel a bit and you just start having late nights and later getting up in the morning sort of thing, you lost a week. So it's good impetus to keep yourself moving, which is good. You meet a lot of interesting people too.
0: Did you run into any other hashers that were doing what you were doing
1: there? No, there was one or two that I knew of that had done the circuit before me. And there was a, the Harrier magazine that came out and I managed to get hold of that somehow. And I was emailing them. Actually, I was sending them postcards because email didn't exist then. And they were then publishing my postcards and they were expecting me. And this, that was actually published from Pakistan. So when I got to Islamabad, some of them actually knew of me and where I was. Uh, that was about nine months later than they expected. I was zigzagging across the place and having a great time. Yes. What about
0: big events? After the Interhash in 92 that started all this,
1: did yeah. you bump into any other big events on that travel? Not on that travel, no. I was staying away from the bigger ones because you, you end up spending a lot of money. And to be honest, I don't know that big Interhash It was good to do, but I always wanted to Meet the local people in the local clubs because that's when you meet the magic, the real proper magic people. The big characters you meet in the mega centers, as they call them, but the smaller hashes where you go and meet them and, and you teach them how to sing a new song or just amaze right. them in the circle with whatever talent you might have. That's where the punishment starts. It's good because you get kidnapped now and again. I've been kidnapped three times and just picked up and stuck on a bus and given too much beer. And uh, three days later came back sort of thing and, and they were having some annual event camped am, out somewhere. And there you are, you just joined along. <laughs> And you get back to the hostel sort of thing. And the hostel was about to ring the police because they thought you'd been mugged and was dead in a ditch somewhere. One of my more interesting ones, we got kidnapped in, in the States. I ended up in Nevada. And there was just me and this guy who was a professional grass seed salesman, would you believe? Which is yeah, an odd profession. But when you look at the golf courses they've got there, that makes a lot of sense. A couple of days, we ended up doing a deadlit road trip. Having a great time. From that period,
0: I know that's 30-some years ago, what were some of the oddest clubs that you bumped into? Artist traditions or?
1: Artist clubs. A lot of them are in New Zealand, would you believe? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, there's a lot of interesting ones in the UK. One of my favorite ones, which is a pub crawl hash in London, which is the, called the currently unnamed North Thames Ash, which I used to run with when I was living down there. That's great. And all of it is someone would put together a theme for a pub crawl and then take you around downtown London or like inner city London and, and that sort of thing. The best one we did was set by a bloke called Robocop who's still around I think and uh, he's yeah. a member of the police. He got all hold of the original Jack the Ripper files and then look where all these original locations of these uh, deeds were and we did a run and every one of them was a beer stop and someone would step forward and describe the scene and set the scene as it were and that was a heck of a weekend that was we ended up at someone's place afterwards and Big barbecue and all that sort of stuff. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that's still going on. He, I don't know that he makes them all the Friday the 13th hashes. Ah, okay. What was then the timeline after you
1: transitioned out of just traveling? I ended up in the UK in, that would have been 95. I finally made it late 94, early 95 and then stopped. I stopped in Israel for a good while and was working there to feed them a nest a bit because they had nothing to go to. In the UK, of course, is famously expensive. It's almost as bad as Norway sometimes. So I stayed there for a while and hashed in Israel and ended up going back into the area and picking up other countries. But then in, into the UK and then stopped and started looking for work. So I ended up basically in London doing some work and went back to school and did things where I was hashing all the local hashes. I could find weekend trips away, some of the bigger events, and then the Nashash events and stuff. And from there, they moved out to Cambridge in 97, 98. And I've been here since 2001. Wow. Okay. That's a long permanent sat Now,
0: let me ask you about the Near East there. Were you on a kibbutz or just regular job in Israel?
1: Israel was one of the countries you could go to as a backpacker and just get a job washing dishes. So I got a job washing dishes and doing stuff like that in the evenings. And during the day, I was an electrical laborer. So I was out anchoring walls and stuff. But the guy who employed me was a really skinny looking guy. And when he took his shirt off, you could see all these massive scars on his back. Probably got it during the military. Looked like bomb blast damage or something. And he looked at me. And I'd come through from 18 months in the Far East. And I was pretty thin too. So I'd eat or dysentery and all the other stuff. Wasn't eating really well. So I looked like a broomstick. So he saw a kindred spirit in me. And I was quite surprised that six months later, I'd filled out. When I could look That's a good place to, to eat. eat. Yeah. yeah I, I did that.
0: sandwiches. Yeah.
1: Uh, what, that's right, too. What was the
0: hashing scene there? That was mid-90s? I know there yeah. was a hash in Tel Aviv. That's right, there was a Tel Aviv. Holy Land hash, because I was in Cairo during that whole decade. We did things back and forth across the border. Anybody, any of the big characters were there? I said, Citra Michael was there for a while.
1: I recognize the name. I remember a Yank there who used to, he was a diplomatic corps guy, but he used to fly F-16s or something. And he came out of there and was working through the government still and part of the embassy set up. But what struck me there was the Japanese embassy. There was like about a third of the pack were all these really fit-looking Japanese guys who were their security detail. And that was the one place where they could go out and feel, I don't know, not threatened or just so they could really let their hair down. So there was all these guys talking away in Japanese and singing their heads off. Very fit men. You wouldn't want to mess with them. And the on afterwards was lots of fun too. But that would have been the Holy Land hash. I believe now there's a Templar hash as well in, in Tel Aviv yeah. itself. And I managed to hash with them once because I was working in, Flat out all the time, and actually finding where the hash was and was quite a trick. I had to ring up somebody in the American Embassy. They gave me a call sign because they wouldn't give out names and stuff on the phone. and I had to call back at a certain time of day and give this call sign. And uh, whereupon there was clicks and bangs on the phone and stuff, and I suddenly was speaking with this American guy who still wouldn't tell me who he was, but told me where to go and what bus to take. And, and I'll hopefully I'll see you there. And sure enough, there he right. was. Yeah, it's just yeah. Kind of cloak and dagger. But there was good there's a couple more things I want to find out. Did you
0: get to any of the other countries in that region?
1: Yeah, I went back. I went to Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and I think that's it for there. I recently went to Armenia and Georgia. And of course, there's Bahrain. I've through originally, I've gone through Bahrain, but I haven't been through any of the UAE sort of states. I've, never, I've got on my list to do, or Oman is another one I'd like to go into. Okay. When was the next time you were back in New Zealand? I left New Zealand. I went there, I think it was in 2006, to see my sister married. I had a week planned, and it lasted two days. And I uh, saw her married, hired a suit, gave the suit back, gave a speech, and then got on a plane and left. Then ended up in Singapore. And I, hashed, I think it's four times in five days. Singapore had a fantastic time. And then left from there, went back to the UK. So
0: yeah. I live What's here. your country count? I know we, you use the tracker on half mine. How many countries or clubs or hashes,
1: trails, how do you think it's all? What's your numbers? So I've got 84 different countries. Amongst the Puritans, it depends on how you count the country. The country, in my mind, has to have a parkour. has to have its own stamps, its own money, and usually its own government. So some of the territories blend into that. And you have to run with a local hash. So I've hashed in Romania and I've hashed in Ukraine. But I didn't hash with a local hash, so they don't you know, It depends on how you want to do that. So yeah, about eighty-four is about right, and uh, that's a lot of traveling. I try and travel back from my work every year and go through South America. And go oh, this year, went to the Caribbean, and I hashed in Paraguay as well. I met up with Van Cock and his good lady, Double Dutch Mountain. So that that was good. Right. For I need to talk to her. I interviewed him. She was
0: uh, he had enough to say to fill a hole. Chat oh, time, but I need to interview her about that catch up yes. on what's going on since they've moved there too. Yeah. What about your
1: role at Cambridge Ash? Have you gotten involved there? Yeah. Because of my job, I'm only there half the year. So I'm basically the assistant beer master or the apprentice beer master, depending on the US. That's, I've been in that <laughs> job now for about eight years as the apprentice beer master. So I'm getting pretty good at it. And it's a life skill, I tell you. It's great to take that into civilian life sometimes. What's that one involved? How's the beer work at Cambridge Ash? It's over here. We have a thing called Real Ale, which you would recognize it in the States. It's not lager, fizz pop or anything. It's quite good, decent brown beer, and gold beers and all that sort of thing. So you have to pick a pub that serves this sort of stuff. And if you're having beer festivals, you're visiting beer festivals, having a, events away from a pub, then the beer is going to be pretty good. So you've got to lug this stuff across fields and through bogs and stuff and get pumped beer and tankets there and make an event of it. It's quite an important role. One of the most important, knife feel, within the hash making sure the beer is good. Who built
0: in while you're not there? Who's the alternate who's the non apprentice well, There's be. a
1: guy there called Beer Oddly enough, he's a old fella, but he still runs marathons. He's quite an amazing fit old fella. The main guy is called Ben Ghazi, who started hashing in Egypt all those years ago, and actually in Libya, I think it was. That's where he got his name from. And he's a resident beer master a strode traveller. And uh, he's, you know, always a steady hand on the tiller on am um, all over the place, pouring beer everywhere. Have you been to any more interhashes hashes since the uh, 92? No, I've only done that one. I've done a few Pan-African hashes, which tend to be a lot more interesting and smaller. And Africa, especially on the west coast is pretty an odd place with all sorts of weird, wonderful little countries and quite welcoming and just quite an eye opener sometimes, i found myself going kind to of those a lot. So you
0: had the Harrier magazine, Magic's directory that was done by the mid nineties, I think his last issue. Was there a gap with no internet, and no magic directory there
1: for you? Yeah, I just kept using the magic directory. <laughs> so at least you knew there was something there, even though it might have died. So you ring all the old numbers and you get into the like local social clubs and try and find who knows what. Or if you go to a country that's got a permanent big center like London, say there's guys there that know the history and who's still running and who aren't. You can find them and chat to them and put together a road trip and off you go. My favorite ones recently have been. I've got a Harley Davidson. So I bag this thing up and you can go down into the West Country down in the UK. And I was down there for seven days and managed to catch six hashes. There's another trip down there due with hashes that I haven't run. Yeah. Wow. Do you
0: have an idea how many trails you've been
1: on? I couldn't say. I don't know. I don't know. But I know some people do. A couple, th- do, couple do, thousand? Do. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. There are those that count those. I, uh, I've never really, never counted them. I'm more like camp clubs. It's more of us. You didn't get into it for the running,
0: but have you been hurt on trail? Apart from being kidnapped, have you been lost yeah. up, um,
1: desperately or anything like that? What misadventures have you had on well, the Trail? My favorite one is I was running in Malaysia and uh, Malaysia's a lot of palm oil plantations. So they've taken all the local stuff down, planted up these things. In the middle of these plantations, you have like little camps and things with diesel generators, guys living there looking after the sap and stuff. So anyway, we we're running through this and whenever you find camps like that, there's power cables that go from A to B and that is grinders and presses in the middle of nowhere, these big power cables and engines. So I was running along and all the the packets sidetracked off and that false trails. So I was in the middle of the packet. So suddenly I was leading the trail, we're heading up this track and there was this bloody big power cable, just running along sort of thing. And ran up to it, and then suddenly I realized that the power cable had scales. And the power cable was sitting there, and it was a massive snake. And so, so this thing was just lying there, so I just stopped quite suddenly. And, but all the pack was then coming up behind me. You can hear that the feet, and the, obviously the snake heard this too, and then took off. But it was so big, you couldn't tell. It didn't taper at all. It was just like this big black tube across the track wow. there. And then it took off into the bush, and that was outsized So I, for the rest of the trail, I stayed right in the middle of the pack, away from those big, mighty things. Yeah, you come across that now.
0: Especially during that first hashing journey you did all over the place and probably later, you show up, you turn up, you'll sing a song. You ever run circles? Running circle, no. Like, yeah, no.
1: Okay. What's your go-to songs if somebody says sing us a song? There's a few Cambridge hash songs, which are basically derivative of rugby songs. There's the nipple song. And there's the scrotum song. Which I'm not going to sing for you, but you might find. Yeah, that- this is. I can. this is an 18 and over listed podcast. It's, those that I've have I've hashed with them over the last couple of years, I've, I've benefited from this. The renditions of those songs, and that be fun. But yeah, that's, you have to choose your audience carefully when you come out with that. But it's always good for shocking people in foreign countries because you know you're going to leave <laughs> sometimes <laughs> quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're traveling six months a year, and now it's mostly to South America. I work in the Antarctic, so I actually work there. I go down with a job and they get drift, dropped off in the middle of nowhere. In recent time, we had the first hash of South Georgia with this whaling station, an old whaling station there, plus the government building set up there. So I set a trail from there. So we had some people turn up on a cruise ship and I set the prowl through the whaling station, which is just an extended walk, to be honest. There's not a lot of background. And had a beer stop in a few views, and then back on the ship for a few more beers. That was kind of fun. So I do that for four four or five months, say, and then I come out. Then the option is to fly straight home. Or you can take the option to take GASH and fly sideways to Santiago or maybe Buenos Aires and then work your way up through the country. So over the years, I've picked off the country every year and toured the country and seeing what I could of it in the time and money that I had. And then you would bounce through there and back to the UK and fly the death again for the next six months while getting being normal domestic life sort of stuff, getting the barbecue going and that sort of stuff. Running yeah. my local hash. On reflecting, it's pretty clear that you picked
0: up with the intention of probably never going back. But what do people
1: think who knew you back then? Was a that predictable, predictable lifestyle for you yeah. or whatever. They, they knew I wasn't going back, that's for sure. Because there wasn't really anything in New Zealand. A lot of them were trapped. And I was only just now coming out of whatever hardships they were found themselves in i send them all postcards. So I've got a short, like a list of between 10 and 16 people I send postcards to from every country, usually describing what I did on the hash and what I found there. And it's all these people with young kids and stuff, or sometimes older kids now. And they have got the big map. Where is the mad uncle now? And there's the postcard. Yes, try and spread the love as much as you can.
0: Nice. Who are some of the hashers who might have
1: the whole collection of everything you've written? Yeah, there's at least 10 of them. Back in New Zealand, that will have the whole collection. I'm told that's quite a maybe, few. <laughs> maybe. I wonder if we could urge them to take a photo of each of them and
0: publish the whole lot. I'll put it on a website if we can track them down. You think somebody might do that? I'll ask them next time I send the postcard. See what Yeah. Yeah, because all they've got to do is take a photo and we can blow it up so it's mostly yeah. readable. That'd be a pretty cool collection to have. What have you seen over the years from the late 80s? Apart from just there's going to be a diversity because you're in so many different (laughs) places. Has the hash changed, do you think?
1: Yeah, the hash is getting older, that's for sure. And I'm starting to discover hashes now which don't run. All they do is walk. So there's a lot of the South American hashes are like that. But a lot of them run during the day because it's the cooler time and it's the men are at work and it's the ladies and the wives that run. So then it's a sort of a knitting circle. And they sit around, they drink gin, they sing a bit, and it's just a whole different vibe. But every now and again, though, you come across some of the older school runs, like where the younger military guys say, who do run like scolded hares. You have got to try and keep up with them. Uh, yeah, that hash has changed a bit. It's because of the, I think originally in the seventies and eighties, it was a good alternative rebellious thing to do, which is below the table. But these days, with everybody's out kite surfing and diving and doing all the wild stuff that they YouTube themselves doing. It's lost that younger input of people. Uh, probably one thing. But yeah, a lot of the older guys are still running. We've got a guy in our hash clinger who's he's 80 and he still trots along and he's still at the beer stop, still gets just as drunk as everybody else. So I'm taped for me yet. Is there anything that you just tolerate
0: or any hashing is good for you or you turn up and you've got all this range of hashing from knitting circle, drinking circle to fast trail, walking only?
1: Is yeah. anything that disappoints you or you just adds the hash or? I've been on one or two hashes where there's no alcohol. And uh, there's a couple of them I've run with. Actually, one of them not far away from here, where you turn up, you're not allowed to clean, purse, wear, anything like that. It's all very uptight parents with baby buggies and things. They might have a chat later on. There's no hash names. And they drink lemonade. And uh, yeah. then they get in the cars and go home. And it's one of these things. They're like, okay, I'll tick that one off as a hash because they call it a hash. But in my mind, that isn't. And I'll probably never run with them again. Ta-da. To go back there. Do you have a club count then? Clubs, yeah. 293, I think. I'm not sure what you're Something up like that. It's on the website. That count is accurate, yeah. Oh
0: wow. Yeah. 300 will happen someday. It will. That'll be a that'll be a big day. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see. Predictions. Fifty years from now, when we're all gone. Is hashing going to stay? More technology, artificial intelligence hashing, who knows, mapping. What do you think hashing is going to go and be recognizable? It's surely recognizable for what you found in the eighties still yeah. today. Yeah. what well, do you think?
1: Um, I think it'll change. Yeah. There's a lot more people now, I think using the, the technology, like you say, to, to map a run and then follow it on their watches. And, uh, there's some of them, especially the older guys who are worried about blood pressure and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, but I've seen it where I've set out, essentially it was a pub crawl on the watch. And we set out, we ran through fields and it was all legal ways and that sort of thing. But it's strung together all these places you could stop and have a beer stop. So that was quite an interesting way of doing a trail. I've seen one, so I've actually set it here just for fun, where we ran in Turkmenistan and, uh, Turkmenistan being the place it is, it was, if we were the first tour that Turkmenistan would ever seen, that were civilians not to do the oil ever. So they were the embassy people, their own embassy people were absolutely terrified of us. What we're going to do, we're going to get arrested. And one of the things you can't do there is any sort of graffiti at all. So it's not like North Korea where you've got, got the kims up everywhere, but they're very proud of their public space. So you couldn't mark the trail. So we did a did a picture trail. So we had a sheet of papers with all these photographs in sequence. And you had to find the best photograph by running around and looking and then stand where that photograph was taken, which is usually pretty obvious next to it power poles and then find the next photograph and i've seen that done here with people with watches and uh, and the handheld devices so they're running along there's no physical trail but you could find it and it was in a different version of orienteering, which is a lot of fun and yeah. that's not so good for the people trying to follow you though because they as soon as you're out of sight you're gone there's no trail to follow but yeah nice. what happened during covid with your hashing so we looked at that and a lot of us you know we stayed in for a first month and Then after that it was like okay we have to get out we have to get run in the UK, they were waking up to the fact that actually being outside for any period of time was good for your mental health, let alone your physical side of it. Mental health has turned into a big thing. What well, they did is say, okay, whoever sets the run goes to the venue, sets it. And you've got between, I think it was nine o'clock and like one o'clock to actually run up. So you turn up and you're only allowed to socialize in small groups. So you set up and you'd wait till that small group was the right number, then you'd run with them. And there were small groups of people then running. And there'd be like a circle where you were miles away from each other in a big car park, so you could sing and stuff and talk to each other, but you weren't actually breaking any rules. And we set it in jungle rules, which is one blob and you're on, makes it easier to follow if you do and a small pack. So it worked quite well.
0: Yeah. I imagine some people did it by themselves too. There are those that
1: did. But again, it was still the same trail and they could then Facebook or whatever it was, I think it was zoom afterwards and have a zoom circle. And uh, so some of them are sitting on their couch, but then having a beer and others were still out there, having a zoom circle under a tree and you uh, chatted, and it was a good social thing. And as it then relaxed, the pack then came back. Some people were still nervous, but they uh, eventually they're all back. Are there any other hash
0: characters that you especially like to bump into or uh, yeah. that that are not like, in your Cambridge
1: hash that you see? Yeah. There's the world famous Lickham, which I haven't seen in a while now, that he's a Euro traveler extraordinaire. Really good meeting up with him. There's my best mate over in the States now is Daffodilu who lives in Virginia. He flew across just recently to the Dominican Republic and met up with me there. We tried to run up on the local hash. Unfortunately, it was the wrong weekend for him, but I stayed to the next weekend. So I got another check in the book. It was good to see him and just drink lots of beer. Talk shit as you do when you're a drunken bloke. Yeah, uh, Lincoln won't do it because it's CIA. Yeah. That's (laughs) That's <laughs> like, like, him has all sorts of things. like that. He's a great guy, lots of traveling and it's always fun having a beer with him. I saw
0: him, the interesting thing for me, he was at, he was with us in one of the weirdest big events we ever did was Pan-Asia 2019 in China. Just before COVID, we were in the province next to Wuhan and the Chinese brought government speakers to talk yeah. to the crowd and they would stop the music and make speeches at the venue we just left yeah. beer was there beer wasn't very good everybody just went home at 7 30 walked away went to the box wow. but he was there yeah no one stayed at the venue but w- there was a small group of expats at that and yeah he was there like the last but time I'm i saw sure- him
1: was in Sierra young which is probably not that far up as well and he turned up and his that was a crazy place because uh, we turned up the red dress run and it turned out that they'd had a big conflict just recently. And the ruling party, their paramilitary people are all dressed in blue. But the opposing party, their paramilitary is always dressed in red. So here we are, a group of people yelling and screaming having great fun, dressed in red. And the police just could not handle this at all. So they said, sorry, you can't do it. So we still ran. We just didn't run on red star. And the local oh, haberdash made it. a fortune. And Lickham was there. It was pretty chatting with him, drinking too much beer. That's great. That's the first time I've heard. So it's a red dress run that just got de-robed. Yeah.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah, but they were very apologetic about it. And eventually the mayor of Freetown came out, this American, she's a, as African, but American educated, was walked back to run the place and she's very apologetic about it, but she came around and shook everybody's hand. It was very personable. And it was just a local thing. We just had to swerve around, no problem at all. Drink plenty of beer. See, breakfast there was like, I think it was five bucks for a half a lobster and a Budweiser on the beach. Wow. It was hell. Hell, I tell you. <laughs> Apart from the beer that
0: is around there in the UK and the Cambridge scene, what about <laughs> beers around the world? Are there any that you liked or would be great
1: to see again? The UK beer, it is a distinguished thing. And in recent years, they have gone away from the what you would call like warm beer. And they've gone to a key keg beer, which is strong ale, but it's pressurized to a point they never actually sees gas. It's cooler. It's a lot stronger. And the flavours are a lot more dimension flavors where the British beer is usually two or three flavors. You've got a malt and then a nut flavor or anything like that. So some of the Goldy ones are straw flavors there. And but uh, the key keg ones have gone, so I've taken the American West Coast thing where they start at 6.5%. But the flavors, you chew on these things and the flavors are fabulous you just away and god help me if you've got to drive so yeah. if the beer goes that way it's very good but having said that the market still has to provide for someone who wants to turn up and drink five and still be able to walk out the ring so yeah. there's always going to be a palate for a light beers and the recent thing of course is zero out beers and they're trying to make them taste as good as the strong stuff and there's a market for that because if i'm going to drive i want to at least pretend i'm drinking and have different yeah. flavors yeah so I have one or two of those the market is desperately trying to produce something like that, that someone like me or you would drink and not feel that you're, you're defiled.
0: Yeah, I know that some of the bigger international events now that's just getting on. For a while, there has been a change where everybody said we need to have wine or ciders for non-beer drinkers. And yes. now we need to probably have non-alcohol. Maybe not at weekends and campouts where nobody's driving. It's not such an issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: would you believe, I haven't seen it so much in the hash, but I've seen it in the big motorbike rallies. You go there and there's everybody in in black vests and back patches and all that sort of stuff. And there's one bar there and they've got the third tap just now it does no out. And big blokes, where you wouldn't expect to be drinking no out and and the no out guys because they're going to drive or they've got to perform later or do something. And so it's coming. It's not a bad thing either because you can have your one good one and then go on to the low out stuff and you still get a pallet. You're still socializing. And there's some people who buy it, even though it's sometimes quite expensive. Anything
0: left on your list of where you want to travel? Is there any place you've not been? Oh,
1: there's lots, lots of places. So I've never done the Golden Triangle. I've never done Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. That would be a nice trip to do. I've never been to Japan or the Philippines. so I planned to go there once and never could. I've never been to China. And there's all the Middle East ones, all the UAE countries, all the little funny ones there that you can pop into and see. And you can actually go to Saudi these days as a tourist. So I'd like to go and hash in Saudi Arabia and just round off that whole lot and finish off maybe in Amman. That would be really good. And then there's Central America. The, States, the amount of hashing in the States is incredible. So there would be just a whole lifetime doing that. That will bounce through there maybe. So there's lots of places still to see. How long is your Antarctic terms going to keep going? How long is that going to last? I'm in the mid fifties now and they it's basically just as long as the medical comes up. Okay. So with the running, you're going to look after yourself sort of thing with the running and, and practicing, as long as you're keeping the balance if you your weight good and keep the blood pressure, right? There shouldn't be any reason for me not to go. So I'll be there, going there for the foreseeable future. There used to be a guy called Rockhard who was, I think in McMurdo. I've never met him. He was in the book though of the time. And I think he left and then came back or. Whatever, but I understand that he was in the same job as me. He was looking after the facility there and uh, he would lay on a run. And uh, there was a guy also that I, summoned was down there at a place called Halley, which is one of the British stations, and he'd wintered with the Americans at the South Pole and they did a hash run in midwinter down the South Pole. So someone was there who knew all about the hashing. Probably not art. it was someone that had come into it. So there's potential, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a guy out in Portland now who was down there as a chef for a year. Everybody will say, you can't you should come up with his name. Maybe I'll add it back in and put his name back in. Of course, it's B-Fuck. Yeah, he was down there for a year. Besides Rockhart, he was one of the two people that I had known that had hashed down there before the boats got down there.
1: Yeah, that's a big thing now. I think after COVID, too, people are looking at life and thinking, why not? We're going to die anyway. So they're spending the pensions and the money that will carefully stacked away for one day if the car blows up, they're going on a cruise instead. That's a cool thing. Fort Lauderdale apparently does lots of cruises. Yeah.
0: I've gone on one of the hash cruises out of New Orleans that went Caribbean. And yeah, yeah, there's more and more coming. There's people out of Caribbean, Trinidad Travel Agents, and of course, the Florida Americans running more and more cruises and music, small boat cruises. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it's interesting. I didn't realize... So you're mid fifties. You've done a lot of hashing because yeah. you started so young. How old were you on that first mess of a hash that you found out about it? How old was I?
1: So that would have been, I would have been about 23 or something like that. 23, yeah. 24. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And a lot, at the time though, there was a lot of young hashes that just get done. there, they were, they were just going to, yeah, they were going to stop. They're just having a great song. And I was just in the middle of that. There's some older guys yeah. who were usually returned expats. Nowadays in Cambridge, it's mostly older guys and there's one or two of the younger ones. I'm oh, probably one of the younger ones, actually. Uh, there's people with kids and stuff. And there are one or two younger, but not a lot. They tend to be of that 60, 70 dynamic. They still run, though, and they scare the hell out of the younger guys. It's good. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's good talking that. Any other stories you want to get in here? Let's see. You're talking about weird things happen on hash. We're hashing in Africa once. It was one of the Pan-African. Nairobi were setting it. And we ended up running through a personal game park. And at the time I was wearing glasses and it was coming down a misty, sort of drizzly, which is good because it's as hot as hell there otherwise. Running along, I was looking at the snakes because I remembered Malaysia. and I remember these bloody snakes. Right? Trotting along, trotting along and I stopped. And I was off trail, but you could hear them running off of so then stopped. And then uh, I was wiping on my glasses and think, and I, and I looked across and the tree just next to me had stripes on it. And I looked at the other tree close to it and it had stripes on it as well. And I looked up and there was this giraffe looking at me. And uh, it was, so, who the hell are you? And I was thinking, okay, is that a bull draft? Am I in trouble? For so and he just turned around and just ambled up and disappeared into the mist, and uh, that really made my day. So we ended up coming out of that, and then uh, the mist cleared and everything. It's a day, come on, and uh, it's quite a story. And that was the days I wasn't carrying a phone or anything like that. But That was it was quite a big moment. Yeah. You were by yourself at that yeah. moment. Yeah, That's yeah, pretty amazing. That's a magic. Yeah. yeah, you had a lot of magic stuff like that. And the you shouldn't have gone was dead anyway, then yeah. meeting some of the best lunatics on the world is good.
0: Yeah. That's a good summation of hashing. Let me ask you the traditional question. Is the RA always right? The RA is always right. Always. Yeah. It's been a while since someone said that. I'm glad to hear that. Oh, we're The RA. We are traditionalists. Yeah. To close the circle. Here's the Hash anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child.